0: Good morning, if you would please turn in your Bible to the book of 1st Peter chapter 3. Today we come to verses 8 through 12 of 1st Peter 3. As you follow along in your Bible, I will be reading mostly from the King James version of these verses. These words that are listed in this list have been translated differently in our English versions and I don't think we have a right or wrong in translations, but we do have differences, and, and it may just come down to the differences are in how we hear the words, what, what particular things come to our minds when we hear these particular words when they hit our ears. So I'm falling back on the text that I grew up with and the text that many of our reformers, as they have commented on these verses, have used. So I'll be reading from the King James as you follow along in what you have. I will read a little slower so that you can process the words in front of you as well as the words that you hear me reading. So now if you would please follow along as I read 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one for another. Love as brethren be tender hearted be courteous not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing but rather blessing knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing verse 10 for He that will love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips that they may speak no guile. Let him abstain from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Great God and good God, our heavenly father, we come before you, asking your blessing on us as we submit ourselves to your word. Your word given to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and now delivered to us through preaching. Your chosen, ordained and blessed means of giving grace to your people. And So we ask, according to your revealed will, that you would bless the preaching to the saving of souls and to the sanctifying of the saints. We pray that you would help us. That as we listen, we would not receive your word with only temporal, this-worldly ears. But that we would hear and receive and respond to your word as citizens of the heavenly kingdom. As men and women with eternal souls. Grant to us faith increasing and grace upon grace and true repentance. Keep Satan from robbing us of the treasures that you have for us. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would work truly and effectually in us now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. I looked this week, we've spent eight sermons in this section of scripture, uh, plus today will be nine, and we come to the end of this section today, and we have in our text, to sum it all up, or or the King James says, finally, and, and it occurs to me, eight sermons in this section, some of you may be thinking, in King James terms, finally, so I, I hope not, but we're, we're, this is good stuff, still. so we're, we're still here. Uh, This section that we've we've been working through has dealt with Christians submission in various spheres of authority in government, in work and at home. And and while there has been a theme of submission, we have found more than just simple commands to submit. The command is certainly here, but, but we found more we found insight on how Christians ought to behave. How we ought to carry ourselves in these different arenas of life. For example, in uh, chapter 2, verse 13, in this section, these verses pertaining to submission to government, we find the command to submit to kings and authorities. But then we read in verse 17, honor all people, Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So we see the command, but We see that there's more than just a bare command. There's something of how a Christian should live in this world. And we have insights like this throughout this whole section. And it's been edifying for us to, to learn and to be reminded of how a Christian ought to conduct ourselves. In the several orbits of life where we find ourselves. So today we come to verses 8 and 9. And as we already noted, it begins with to sum it all up. So we have a summary section here. And in this summary, we are reminded of the commands for submission in the verses that came before. But we also have in this summary more instruction on how we should live as disciples of Christ in this world. We have in verses 8 and 9 six traits of a Christian, six traits of a Christian, six marks or six characteristics. Which should be on display as we come and go in the ebb and flow of everyday life. And you can follow along and see. They are unity of mind, or harmonious, your Bible may say, compassion, or sympathy, love for the brethren, so brotherly love, tender heartedness, or kind heartedness, your translation may say. And then courtesy, and and courtesy, some of your translations, probably most of your translations say something like humility in spirit, humility in spirit. And then in verse nine, we have blessing. As we think of these Christian character traits, often we come to a list of Christian character traits and they serve for us as soul checkups. To see if we exhibit these traits in our lives. And as Pastor Brent pointed out in Sunday School, we will not exhibit these traits perfectly. Uh, But we should also understand here, not only a list that we may do a soul checkup, but we need to understand this as it is presented. and, And we need to look at verse eight and see what's here to sum it all up. B. Now, now this is a command for every believer, everyone who is in Jesus Christ. Christians, these things are what you are to be. So this is a command. This is this is what you are to work for. This is what you are to strive toward. Be like this. Another thing we'll notice, not only is that these are commands but notice that these are not do it by myself commands. They require us to think of these commands within the context of the church. The, the first one how can you be of one mind by yourself? And even as I say that, I know that some of us struggle at times with being united, even in our own minds. We, we have a hard time. And if you, if you are that way, then maybe we can talk after the service. I don't know that I can help you, but, but we have a lot in common. <laughs> Sometimes I argue with myself. Uh, but, but this command, be of one mind, this is not for me and myself. The, these commands are how we should live and how we should behave in the church, in the context of the church. And, and this is what the world should observe us to be. So once again, our American and Texan individuality has to be checked at verse 8 because this is not I, me, my Christianity. This is we, us, Christianity. So in the first place, we read, be of one mind or have unity of mind. Now, sometimes I think in opposites when I thought of Unity. I thought of the opposite of disunity. And we see in churches all across our country so much disunity. And and we don't have to go very far to find some church which has split over one thing or another. If we polled this crowd, we would probably find different stories of churches that have split over something. As a matter of fact, this very church is the result this church came about because of a church split. And, And as we think about disunity and church splits, I want to be careful how we think about it because there are good reasons for a church to split. There are good reasons. Doctrinal error, egregious sin, There are good reasons that a church might split, but studies show that most church splits are not over important things. They're over silly issues. Growing up, I I heard about churches splitting over things like the color of the carpet. They remodeled. They couldn't agree on the color of the carpet. And then the church split. My childhood pastor told a story that my wife said, you've said that before, but, you know, I'm old enough. I can repeat myself. So I will. My, my childhood pastor told a story of a church that split over what he called the tissue issue. They had built a new church building and it came time to put toilet paper in the bathrooms and they couldn't settle on what color toilet paper they were going to put in the bathrooms and the church split the tissue issue. Now, some of you are young enough that I realize I need to say toilet paper used to be sold in colors, (laughs) pink, green, blue, you know, different, different colors. Um, But but you get the point. Churches split over silly things. Churches split over things that really don't matter. And as I think of. Churches splitting over silly things. I thought about what churches have done and what churches are doing to promote unity. And sometimes churches try to promote unity and have a silly effort in that. Some unity based on an external preference. What do you mean? Well, a church may unite because, well, we all like to ride motorcycles. Or we all like to ride horses. Or, or we all over a certain age. Or we're all under a certain age. Some churches unite because we all really like 90s soft rock. We like the same kind of music. So we come together over that. And all those are absurd reasons for us to be united. And they're absurd because soon... Soon things change and that's not enough to hold us together. Soon someone decides our motorcycles all should be made in America or our horses and riders all need to have certain skills or youth is not enough to hold us together as a church and to unite us. Church, we need unity. This this verse commands that we seek unity, that we be of one mind. We should strive for it. But for unity to truly unite, it must be grounded and rooted in God and in His Word. Our unity must be doctrinally and theologically rooted. This is unity. For which we must work. People say doctrine divides. Remember I said there's some good division. Doctrine divides. But doctrine also unites. Doctrine divides. Truth from error. But doctrine unites. Those who believe the truth. Now we will still. As we we seek to be. Of one mind. And can we just pause here for a moment. And give thanks to God. For the unity. That we have at Wakefield Family Baptist Church. What a, what a blessing. And, and I think more and more, what a rare thing it is. What a blessing that is. But even with unity over these doctrinal matters, won't we still be individual people? Won't we still have different ideas and different opinions on many things? But we agree that the final arbiter for any conflict, the final arbiter for any disagreement, will be the word of God. And where the scripture doesn't speak, Christian liberty of conscience. And where the scripture does speak, there we unite. There we are of one mind. The command comes to mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's not just one mind. It's his mind. Let us be of one mind. Secondly, we are commanded here to have compassion or to show sympathy. We are to be a people who can come alongside a hurting person and help them bear their burden follow the command of Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now church, we gladly proclaim that we serve a God who is without passions. A God who is without passions. He has perfections, but not passions. And aren't we glad that God doesn't have Hot flares in his temper. Like we do. Aren't we glad that God doesn't. Love a little more one day. And a little less another day. Like we do. We have passions. God is without passions. He has perfections. But we are passionate people. And he made us to be that way. He made us passionate people. And we can. And should. Share those passions. With one another. When there is a hurt. We should show sympathy. We should enter in and let me cry with you. When there is a burden. Christians are to bear one another's burden. When there's a passion for righteousness. That should be contagious. We should all want to get that. When someone has a a heart for the worship of God, let us share in that heart. We are to be compassionate. We are to share those passions. We are to be a sympathetic people. In the third place, we are to love as brothers. This brotherly love. It's It's a theme in scripture, if you haven't noticed. Brotherly love. The command for brotherly love made me think of some of the men who are sitting in this room right now. It made me think of the picking and the joking and the abuse (laughs) that some of our men participate in. Some of these brothers sitting among you are brutal to one another. And, And I see that kind of behavior also in some of my closest preacher friends. Maybe it's me. I don't know, maybe, maybe it's me. I, I you know that's how I know who my friends are. Um, and, and let's just say that, that you, this this picking, let's just say you have some particular characteristic, just spitballing, say you have a white stripe in your mustache, I don't know, just matter. Matter. I don't know. Or, or some man says something that is really dumb. These other brothers will latch onto that and will not let go. I'm not bitter about it. Though. <laughs> I've heard some people very sanctimoniously say, well, we should never do that. We should never pick and joke in that way. It's a horrible thing. But I'd like to point out that it's number one. It's all in good fun and it's never done to uh, a weak or hurting person. It's done to those who can take it as well as dish it out. And most importantly, it is brotherly love when someone is hurting, those are the very men who will be quick to come and show true real love. Those are the very ones who will come when there's a real need, a real hurt or a serious thing that a brother is dealing with. These are the same ones who show instant and deep love for their brothers. This brotherly love. Brotherly love is it's kind of a new thing for me. I'm, I, I'm an only child. I grew up as an only child and So brothers and sisters are a foreign concept. Now we had three children growing up and often I just watched to see how it was going. It was It was a learning experience for me. But I have observed something that I would like for you to consider. Those who share common parentage Those who are brothers and sisters by blood. There's not enough in that type of brotherhood or sisterhood to sustain a meaningful, lifelong relationship beyond niceties, beyond cooperation and caring for parents. I'm not saying that there are not brothers and sisters who have relationships for a lifetime, but it is very rare, I'm going to say... I've never seen it where the only thing connecting them was common parentage and they had a closeness that lasted a lifetime. But I know that brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the most important things in common. We are redeemed. We are justified. We are adopted as sons. We are joint heirs in Christ. Now, when I said Uh, I don't think ever. I've seen brothers and sisters who have common parentage who also are brothers and sisters in Christ who can have a long term, lifelong, vital relationship. But brothers and sisters in Christ, we are utterly unworthy in and of ourselves. And we are all made partakers of the marvelous, matchless grace of God. So Christians, let us see one another as brothers and let us love one another with a brotherly love and that brotherly love will be seen and it will baffle the world. It will will cause the best kind of envy. How can you have someone that you are that close with? We serve the same God. We're saved by the same Savior. We are brothers in Christ. Christians, let us love one another as children of God and brothers in Christ. Fourthly, we're commanded to show tender heartedness or kind heartedness. Now the idea here of tender heartedness, this is the idea of a gentle or a soft touch. Now think about when you have a sore injury, you don't want someone to be rough with you. I so appreciate when I had surgery on my shoulder, how many of you patted me on the other shoulder? And how many of you were gentle? When we have a sore spot, we don't look for somebody to be rough with us. We want tenderness. That's the idea of this word, tenderness. And I think of Christian men, big Burly, bearded some Christian men who may at, at first glance may seem intimidating but then you watch them and you see how they are with their Christian brothers and sisters you see how they are with their wives you see how they are with their children and you see that they are tender hearted that they are sweet and gentle men when that is what is needed Listen to what Sproul said in commenting about gentleness and the tender heartedness of our Lord. Sproul says, when Jesus was with the hard hearted, he asked no quarter and he gave none. When he dealt with the Pharisees and Sadducees, he was not Jesus, meek and mild. Sometimes I'm interrupting Sproul's quote. Sometimes that's required. Sometimes there's a toughness that's required. However, with those of a more lowly estate, sinners and publicans, Jesus was tender and gentle. Christ Jesus is our example in this. Strength and hardness when it is needed. But we should be known as those when our lives come to touch the lives of others that we have a tenderness that we are gentle, that we are kind people. In the fifth place, we are to be courteous. And your Bible may say humility and spirit. I'd like to talk about courteous or the word courtesy. Courtesy is a word, it comes from two words that mean court etiquette, court etiquette. Courtesy is the idea of giving honor and respect where it is due. Now, I grew up in a world of yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Not so long ago, I was speaking to a lady in a nursing home, an elderly lady, and uh, she was asking me questions and I was answering. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And she said, where are you from? <laughs> I had to tell her I was from Louisiana, but I I told her, she said, I knew you were from the South. Did you keep coming with that? Yes, ma'am. And no, ma'am. So, so she knew and she was not from the South. She said that was new to her. Well, I know that I grew up with that. Some of you grew up with that. And I know that it is not common everywhere. I'm also learning that it is not as common in the South as it used to be. But there is something right about teaching our little ones to respect their elders And yes, sir, and yes, ma'am goes quite a distance in teaching that. There's relationship here, I believe, to the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment is honor, father, and mother. But this is a summary commandment. Honor, father, and mother is a summary. Listen to what our catechism says, question 69, on this fifth commandment, honor, father, and mother. The fifth commandment requireth the preserving the honor and performing the duties To everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. So judges, police officers, firemen, businessmen, businesswomen, gentlemen, ladies, pastors, parents, Courtesy calls for a certain decorum to pay respect and honor for all people in their various places in life. And Christians, this is how we should live. Now, this term also carries the idea of humility in spirit. That's why some of your Bibles say that humility in spirit. And that's that's really the problem with abandoning courtesy. Abandoning courtesy ultimately becomes boastful in oneself, puffing up oneself. If I have an inflated view of myself, then I see no cause to show honor, to pay respect to others. So we are commanded here to live in humility of spirit and to be courteous. And now we come to the sixth. And final, Christian trait and command that we are to strive for. Here in verse 9, Peter switches it up just a little. We have a negative do not statement as well as a positive do this statement. In verse 9, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing in state. For you are called For this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing. Not returning evil for evil. Not returning insult for insult. Returning evil for evil is the response of the natural man, not the spiritual man. Returning insult for insult, that's the way the world lives. Think about how many times you've seen people exchange insults. It has even become entertaining to watch people exchange insults. That's the way the world lives. And Jesus is our example. And if we look back in chapter two, verse 23, we read there when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges rightly. Entrusting himself to God, the father Christian don't act like the world. Act like Jesus instead of that worldly evil for evil behavior don't do that we have this you bless you bless be a blessing give a blessing when you're insulted give a blessing when you're reviled give a blessing when people think Of you. Live in such a way that they think. I am blessed. To know you. Now we can put these two together. The negative and the positive. The don't do this and do that. And and we can say that this instructs Christians. That we should live. With a heavenly perspective. We should live with a heavenly perspective. Just as Jesus, when he was insulted, when he was reviled, he looked to the heavenly father, who is the just judge. He entrusted himself to God's good providence. So we ought to know that what God has ordained to come to pass in our lives is right. And it is for our good. Charles Spurgeon is quoted when when thinking about the things that come upon you and maybe it's something evil and you're saying that we should bless and we we should think of it as coming from God. Charles Spurgeon is quoted saying, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me up against the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Christians, whatever comes to us, We are blessed. And we give blessing. With our eyes focused on our dear Savior. There's some question about how we are to read the end of verse 9. Some say you are called to this. Well that means you are called to receive evil. And to receive insult. Or, Or perhaps we should read it. You are called to this. You are called to bless and to be a blessing. But I got to tell you, I have a hard time separating those two things. Evil, which comes, comes by the perfect will of our loving Heavenly Father. And we are called to it. And we bless, knowing that through Jesus Christ, we will be blessed eternally. In the eternal state. We are called to this. The verses that follow 10 through 12 are taken from Psalm 34. Which we read earlier at the opening of our service today. And this quotation slash adaptation that we have here. Is a reinforcement of the same commands as to how we are to live in this world. We are to uh, just recapping where we've been. Have unity of mind. Show compassion. Love the brethren. Display tender heartedness. Be courteous and humble in spirit. And to bless. And now as we close. Let us hear verses 10 through 12. As we're instructed in the way. Which Christians should live in the world. For he that will love life. And see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil. And his lips that they speak no guile. Let him abstain from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. May these Christian traits be observable in each one of us more and more. As we are conformed to the image of Christ. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Father we pray that you apply these words to our hearts. That your Holy Spirit would, would work in us. Conforming us to the image of Christ. God we pray. For that one who may be here today. Who does not know Jesus as Savior. Who has. No strength, ability, no capacity to live this way in the world. God, we pray that you would grant to them repentance and faith. Draw them to Jesus Christ. Give them, by the same power that raised Christ from the dead, give them the power to become the sons of God. And then to live in accordance with your word. We thank you and praise you for our savior. It's in his name we pray.